There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with this week's edition of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about Draft. Draft Draft.com is one of the coolest new ways to play fantasy sports. You get to draft against you know, three, five, ten-man competitions. There's new drafts starting every five minutes. Your chances of winning on draft are over 80% better than on salary cap sites. That's why you need to try draft. No more getting crushed by the pros. More than one million people have already downloaded draft. You can play in real-life NBA, NFL. They have NHL. PGA is a great one. They have MLB. They have them all. It keeps getting better, better, and better. Drafts usually finish in under five minutes. You get paid the next day. The event finishes, but they're fi- and they're filling fast. Every second, drafts are filling. They have them up until your game. Games begin. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, and you have to use the promo code SD Sports. All one word, SD Sports. That's right. Playing a real money draft for free by using the promo code SD Sports. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code SD Sports. Void or prohibited, must be 18 or older. See website for details. Offer must be redeemed within 14 days. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. Bench with Bubba, episode 75, talking some fantasy baseball from a special guest that you may have heard on this podcast before. You can find him on Twitter, at Lance Brosdow. He does tons of work at Big Three Sports, Razzball, including the uh, Dynasty podcast with Prospect Jesus. He does a bunch of work for CBS Scouting Net and much, much more. Lance Brosdowski, how are we doing? Doing well, man. Yeah, I remember that that first podcast we were on. Uh, that was all like media baseball general talks, and I remember our outline at the end was like we were gonna jump into fantasy, and then we looked up and saw we were like an hour and fifteen minutes in, and uh, we decided to go to bed. I think <laughs> so. This is the yeah. extension of that podcast, I guess. So I'm excited to talk some fantasy here. 
Yeah, I'm pumped for it. Uh, definitely one of the the bright minds in the industry. So I uh, definitely we're gonna do this many more times. I have a feeling, but I wanted to get this this started, getting ready as everyone's. You know, it's almost March, so it's draft yeah. season. We'll start off with uh, some players you've been writing about the last few months in your different ventures. Uh, they could be polarizing in the good or the bad ways. Some people love them, some people hate them. Uh, so let's kick off with the starting pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, Trevor Bauer. You know they've they're keeping drones away from him, hopefully. So what what do you what do you have in store for, or what are your thoughts on Trevor Bauer this year? Yeah, so I, I do a column that comes out every Monday on Rasball.com, and this was I believe mine from about a week ago. Um, I just kind of dug into Bauer over. I like looking at. I have my NFBC ADP pulled up here, so I'm going to be referencing that if I if I reference ADP at all on this. Uh, Bauer's sitting 142nd overall in leagues, but what I like doing is looking at the guys that Rasball between Rudy, who does steamer adjusted, which is the Fangraphs projection system, he does like steamer adjusted rankings and like production on dollar value there, and then Gray does his own rankings, and I like comparing like between the three, like seeing what ADP is, seeing what they're going as, and kind of picking out those guys that have higher differentials, whether it be up or down. And Bauer's one that kind of stood out to me, and I know he was a little bit interesting because of how well he pitched at the end of last season, which, I mean, that comes up so much. I feel like you hear that all the time. You go, you look at the the game log, rolling game log, whatever you want to look at, just general splits of a guy, and you see bad first half, good second half. And most of the time, you, when you look at the aggregate, that is generally what is more predictive year over year, from what I understand as far. I'm not the biggest Met stats guy. I'm not a stat head. I do love stats, but I'm not regressing things in R every day when I get home. <laughs> like I'm sure I know a lot of people are. I admire them for that. But uh, but I don't do that. I like looking at a lot of the things around baseball, including that stuff. And yeah, I know they say you look at the season as a whole, but with some of these guys, I just get so enamored with what they changed and the fact that I think a lot of the time what they changed can be consistent. And that's how I tend to kind of pick out the guys that, you know, might be able to reproduce that second half season over a full year as opposed to reverting back to a balance of the two, et cetera. And the biggest thing with Barrow is this changing his curveball. So He's a big driveline guy. If anyone knows what driveline is, they're like the big uh, kind of biomechanics, new school way of teaching pitching and understanding kinetic chain of flow from lower body to upper body and generating that into velocity. And Bauer's really into them. He does a lot of stuff with them. He's trained with them. And he's got, from his time in Arizona, he has like kind of a funky workout. And I know that kind of rubs people the wrong way, but I like unique pitchers, so I don't mind him at all. And he's always had a nasty curve when he pitched back with UCLA, and he refined that a bit. And it, honestly, aside from refining and getting more spin on it, spin usually leads to more break, more break usually leads to more whiffs. Um, aside from that, he used it a ton, so he started to kind of get into this off-speed. You know, we have like the fly ball revolution, but we often kind of overlook the off-speed of revolution, where you have a ton of guys throwing over 30% breaking balls, and Bauer threw his curveball at the end of the year on, uh, I think, like, if you want to do, like, a rolling log basis. So, if you, you know, you just kind of regress and look at three starts in a row, and then it changes the next time he starts. And just kind of – it's just a simple log of, like, how he's progressing as far as his pitch usage. That kind of got above 30% at the end of year, uh, end of last year, if you look at from the second half onward. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a really good pitch. And when you use a really good pitch a lot, you know, you tend to kind of maybe expect it to not be as great, but his was fantastic. And – you know, aside from that, he, he kind of jumped from a cutter to a slider as well. And that helped him out a bit as far as kind of generating horizontal difference differences as, as opposed to the vertical break that he gets on his curve. And, you know, I like him a lot. I like what he's given a lot. He's an SP3 right now. I think he's got potential to be kind of a low-end SP2 at his ceiling. Um, maybe I'm a little lower on the ceiling, but I think I'm kind of more just I've narrowed in on a range. Whereas some people I know have him in the back end of that, like that SP3 in top sp4 so like right in that 40-ish range but i think i have him higher in the 30s probably low 30s 30-ish one or 32-ish maybe even high 20s as far as where i'd rank him on my starting pitching right now um you're catching me in kind of the 
I've been slagging a little bit with, with my ranks as a whole, but uh, um, I'm just put a couple hours in them today and I'm going to do a lot this week and kind of finally get them out. But yeah, I like Bauer a lot. Honestly, I dug in and you know, I like the changes that he's made. I think the curveball is just a fantastic pitch and he's just refining it. And he's still relatively young, you know, um, Indians have a hell of a track record with getting these guys and getting them good. Um, even if, you know, Sal's husband hurt a ton, but I like Bauer a lot. I'm, I'm not all in on him, I would say, but I, I think he's a definitely a guy I'm going to own a bunch of shares of. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said on Bauer. I'm a big fan of the development he's made. One thing I, I was paying attention to last year, which I really liked, is he basically became like an extension of Corey Kluber. He followed him around. He learned things. He picked his brain. Not a bad guy to learn from. So that helps a ton. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the curveball, you know, spin rate's a big deal. Like you said, everyone talks about the fly ball rev- revolution and we don't really give the spin rate enough of acknowledgement. Like we saw what Lance McCullers did in the world series, just threw his curveball over and over and over again. It's a pretty decent way to combat the fly ball revolution. If you throw it right. Um, and you said it second half of the uh, year last year, he had a, a, I believe it was a mid three or a low three ERA last year. You look at all his projection or his numbers last year. The four one nine ERA, but the the FIP and XFIP a three eight eight three six zero. So definitely a chance to to get even better. He had ten Ks per nine, and you mentioned Steamer with Rudy, and he does his thing. And I I, I love the Steamer projections for the reason that it's kind of the most you know tentative. They're not overestimating, so it's a good low like floor when yeah, I'm looking at projections. Absolutely. And you know they have him for a four one seven ERA, but He's, he's basically going to get you a K per inning they're projecting. Um, there's a lot to like about Bauer, and I think he's only a better. So I agree with everything you said there. I like the fact he is, you know, on some people's boards, he sl- slips into that fourth tier of pitchers where, you know, guys like us that like him, you can kind of sit back and go, okay, this could be my good, you know, SP3, even four on my staff just because of the, the area you can take him in. So I, I'm a big fan of that. Spot on, yeah. Let's talk about this guy. Byron Buxton. I have been all over the Buxton train the last couple of years, and obviously anybody that knows baseball at all, I've been burnt, burnt severely, <laughs> like bad. Now, given last year, he brought it together in the second half way, way more consistently than the previous year's second half that everyone thought was the next coming. Yeah. But this looks like it could be. You did some work on him. What are you seeing? Are, is, is this something for real now? I think it is. I think it is, and I think that – I'm still kind of figuring out what the ceiling is for him. I think that's the biggest thing. I think in this column that I wrote, I kind of got asked a couple of times about what's the peak season. Like if everything clicks for him this year, what's his peak season? I had a really hard time trying to figure out where the power could go because the adjustment I saw him make, if you kind of break down his tape throughout the season, he's made a lot of adjustments. And this one is the one probably I like the most because I think it plays into what he does as a player the best, which is putting the ball in play gap to gap and running. So that's why I think at the end of the day, a lot of this value is going to come from his steals, which is completely fine if you're investing him in, that's why you're investing in him. But what he did was he kind of closed off his stance. He was always a little bit open, and he always tended to pull things. You'll notice on breaking balls a lot of the time, what he ended up doing was throwing his hips down the third baseline, but keeping his barrel of the ball and everything towards like right center. And it was just a complete counterbalance of where his weight was going. But if you watch late in last season, there's a couple of really, really good Honestly, just videos. I think if you just go to MLB.com and then go videos and search Buxton, look at any of his games late in the year in September. What he did was he literally just closed everything off. He's straight line to the pitcher. Now he's not open in his stance with his front foot from the right side. And he's staying inside the ball very, very well. And he's taking pitches that are on the outer third to right field. 
And I mean, you know, most of the time, if you look at like the general average on balls going the other way, it's not as beneficial to the hitter as balls that are being pulled to the pull side. But his line drive rate on those balls was pretty good. And if if you're doing anything to the right side, you want it to be a line drive. Um, and I loved what he did in that. And I think that that adjustment, as we're talking with Bowers, another one in the second half that I think could stick because there's tangible reasons as to why he did it, what it produced. And that projecting forward for me, I'm a lot more confident in assuming something like that can continue as opposed to just a random change or, oh, I, I changed my eating habits or I did this wrong or differently. And that, that stuff just doesn't tend to kind of manifest with me. And I like if you lot, a lot of the hitting philosophy around this is staying inside the ball. And the thing with it, though, in as, as I mentioned briefly, as I started this kind of rant here, is that I, I'm not sure where the power can go eventually, because if you stand the other way a lot. I don't think right now he has the raw power to put up 25 home runs if he's staying at the gap. He's going to get some balls, obviously, on the inner third that he's able to pull out, which is I think he has the hands and the bat speed to do and hit those out and end up with 15 to 20 home runs. But the peak, peak season for him, like in his absolute prime, if he figures everything out, I don't know, number one, that it's this year. But if it is kind of in the near future, I think he could kind of get to like 25 home runs, 40 bags, which is like top 30 player easy, especially in this okay. Steelers landscape. It turns into like a Trey Turner-ish kind of guy. But this year coming, I kind of see more like a 15 to 18 home run kick with a bunch of steals. And the average is tolerable. You know, it's not Billy Hamilton average. It's probably in the 260s, 270s. 270s if he's lucky, actually, probably more in the 260s, 250s. But I like it. I just, I think that he's not a finished product. And I enjoy investing in guys like this in Dynasty Leagues. But the issue is kind of that now in Dynasty Leagues, the value on him is kicking up a ton. So, you know, you got to pick your yeah, poison that... with him. I'll get a share here and there, but the price right now is pretty rich. Um, I don't know what his exactly. ADP is that quick, but he's fifty. He's about fifty-three right now in the NFBC. Yep. And that's yep. why that's why I was going to ask is you know these projections they're even they're even confused on them like between Zips, Death Chart, Steamer, and Fans Thirty, all the ones on Fangraphs right now, eighteen to twenty-two homers, twenty-one to thirty-four stolen bases, a two forty-six to two sixty-six average. They're all over the board yes. on him. <laughs> They, they like literally, and that's how we all are because like everything you said is the talent is legit. It is yeah, very, it very been. legit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's why and you love it. I think you know, like you. See oh, I loved every, I loved every minute about it. This kid looks like to me he was Billy Hamilton 2.0, like a yeah. bigger and better Billy Hamilton. And we just haven't had it all come together yet. Now the second half last year gave us great hope and optimism, but tweaking his swing, there's this, that, and the other. I had Nate Dawkins from the Nasty Cast on a couple times, but last year's episode before the season, he's a big Twins fan. Mm-hmm. So we talked Buxton, and he got into Buxton and how they were adjusting his stance and they wanted more uppercuts. And I said, they need to treat him like Willie Mays Hayes from the movie Major League. For every pop-up he hits, he needs to do push-ups because this guy has so much speed. Get him on the base pads until he develops the power. Because even yeah, in the minors – because yeah. even in the minors, he was never a double did he didn't have double digit homers till 2016. So it's like I think the power is there. We could get a 20 guy, like a 20, 30 guy, like you're saying. But like you said, I don't know if it's there yet. And that's where the big question is: can you take him at pick 53? I think it's a matter of how you value stolen bases. And if you look True. at a lot of aggregated ranks. The thing they push up is stolen bases. So if you look at, I, I reference Rudy's rankings a lot. I really like what he does and the adjustments he makes. So 
as far as baselining rankings, I tend to go that way with how Rasball ranks guys. It's just, that's my home. That's where I write, et cetera. I support them. But I, I generally do believe that they have a very good projection system and how they run and how they come up with dollar values. And if you look a lot of the times when you look through those just dollar value projections based on what they're projecting the stats to be, very, very simple. Like just, this is what they're going to put out. This is the value return based on that value returns. Here they were, Here's where the guy would rank one through 400, whatever they do. And a lot of the time when you scroll down that list, you see guys like VR and you see other guys where you're just kind of like, really, he can return that value. But then you look and you go, oh, it's all on stolen bases. So as a guy like we're going to get into Gallo in a bit here, that's another guy where all his value is being returned on home runs. So it's like it's a matter of how you value the statistic. If you're getting Billy Hamilton in like the 70s, wherever he's going, um, he's 62 right now. Like you can't take Buxton too. It's just it seems like overkill on stolen bases to me. Even if you know in your head that you got you're probably competing with the guy who has Hamilton, you know, for that category for the one point for talking road outside. But it's at pick fifty three, it's tough. I really want him to fall into like the sixth round to get a share. But I think that overall, too, my philosophy when I go into a lot of drafts, just something I've held for the last couple of years, is that I tend to devalue pitching a little bit on the top end. And I tend to devalue stolen bases a little bit. And I tend to kind of go with the more of the guys that I think could put up. If they're going to steal, like I want them to also hit for average and hit for power. And that's a very select tier. That's like one through 20. That We're talking like uh, like Tommy Pham's guy I like a little bit this year. He's a guy like he could put up 15-ish stolen bases. He could get you non-zero in stolen bases. But he could also do everything else. And you're confident in him doing everything else. Whereas with Buxton, I can't say I'm confident in him hitting for power, hitting for average, driving in runs. I probably have confidence in him getting runs because the Twins offense should be okay, top of lineup, and him stealing bases. But that's two for five. You know, if I'm taking a guy like him, if I'll sacrifice 20 bags if I could convince myself that Fam's uh, 100% across the board contributing, you know, 280, 25 home runs, 15 bags, 90, 90. Like that's a reasonable projection for Fam. And I think that. You know, if you they're very similar in their ADP right now. So it's like the volatility in Buxton, sure, but it's it's a lot about team construction to me. I guess if you want a binary answer on if I take him fifty three overall, it's no. My I wouldn't take him fifty three overall. I'd really hope he falls kind of into that fifth, sixth round. But I have a feeling I'm gonna be in a lot of drafts with people who are you know, if you if you're in a draft with twelve people, one of those guys is gonna be like, Yeah, I think I believe in Buxton and jump him up. So that's tough. If if I so we're actually doing another dynasty draft with some guys who run uh real fake dynasty dynasty baseball and I kind of wish I got Buxton there. I think I would have paid up in a dynasty like that. I would have paid probably top fifty overall value on him, but I think he actually went earlier than that. But I would have I would have paid that in dynasty because I think long term I really like what he can do and he's really young. But snapshot right now going into 2018 it's tough it's really tough for me and as yeah. you're saying like this, the projection systems are volatile analysts are volatile it's just yeah. he's polarizing well he's very polarizing and the stolen base category alone and you hit the question i was going to ask is how do you approach it in a draft i'm the same way for the most part unless you know my draft team my team's being built a certain way where i can gamble on a hamilton or something i like those guys are going to give me 15 to 20 homers 15 to 20 steals hit for 280 plus so on and so forth they're going to keep me healthy in every category and build my team that way. And um, they talked about it on the Flags Fight Forever pod because uh, Brett Sayre is a big Hamilton guy, and he has tons of validation behind it. I get it all. But it's like he said is you kind of have both sides. You're either one or the other, it seems yeah. like. And they, they made a good point that it makes – you have to have the game plan. You have to have the structure. I believe it was George Bissell that said, I like doing the str- kind of plan we like to do where it's, you know, 15, 50, whatever – and because when one guy gets hurt, it doesn't completely screw up your stats. If Billy Hamilton gets hurt, you have no stolen bases. 
So that's the thing, especially if you structure a team like I just have Billy for stolen bases, you know? Exactly. So it's like, it's it's just it's a really a big preference thing. It's really tough. I just tend to, if I'm gonna win a league, I I'm fine with winning that league, trying to pick out the hitters who I think will blow up, winning four of the five hitting categories, and then winning like the ratios and saves. Like I like structuring a team like that because I think I have a better chance to finish top four and then pick a guy who could shoot me up to top two. But no, with no. Hamilton, it's just different. You know, it's it's tough. It's tough. He, he, yeah. I think about this every day. I actually kind of want to make a team. I want to get a team somewhere where I draft Billy Hamilton and Joey Gallo just because it's like, I think that'd be a hell of fun. Like, I'd lose average immediately. Oh, yeah. I'd be I'd be burdened. But, do, it, do it in an OBP league. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. That's so fun with that. Yeah, get, get his uh, 14% walk rate on Gallo, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, that's why I love, you know, just making this list of players. We're in a debate, and it's going to open up a ton of – talking points that are going to help people because you look at all these drafts, the mock drafts we do and everything, and there's so many different angles you can take. And, you know, we mentioned Buxton's going 53. You mentioned Tommy Pham's going 59. Hamilton's going 62. Let's talk about Christian Yellick. He's going 59 also. There's that range right there of very talented guys. Yellick is the mold of that guy that gets you some homers, stolen bases, average, so on and so forth. Obviously, new change of scenery. He's going to be in Milwaukee, which should help him a lot given – Everyone swears he's only a ground ball hitter, but I'll believe – I think there'll be some adjustments made. What are you looking at with Christian Yellick? Yeah, you mentioned – you alluded to it very briefly there as the adjustment side. This is something I dug into with video on him, comparing him to some other guys who were similar in the profile from the left side, similar in swing path, which I thought – and actually the two I brought up were Alex Gordon and Joey Votto, and obviously fleeting comp on Votto. He's not the same kind of hitter. But as far as the structure on the swing goes – they resemble what I hope Yelich can get to to allow him to tap into more power. And I wrote a, a, a column about how I'm not 100% sure how much Miller helps him. And I think that that's kind of a consensus right now. And I know that a lot of people kind of shoot him up a ton because of it. But you got to understand with Yelich that a lot of his home runs, he's hitting to right center. So if you look at his spray chart, he's not a full pull power guy. So like you look at Alex Gordon's spray chart, he was the guy I compared to swing path to. Alex Gordon's power was all to right field. Like he, Alex Gordon got into very few balls to right center and to center. And Yelich is gap to gap. And the other misconception, the biggest misconception with Yelich is that he's a ground ball hitter, but where he sits as far as launch angle goes between zero and 10 degrees is actually a really, really productive window, except that it does not result in any power whatsoever. But the average on balls in that zero to 10 window is like 450. And it's really weird because the thing with getting that window of zero to 10 on the launch angle side, I think his average is like seven point something or five point something, but a lot of ground balls that are hit that are unproductive are below zero. But if you're hitting in that zero to 10, and this is actually a place that Goldschmidt hits a ton too. His average exit velocity or excuse me, launch angle in this kind of window, he, he doesn't stay away from it a ton. He's not like Yonder Alonso, everything's going to the sky, but it's really productive for a guy to sit in there and produce on the average side and produce doubles and, that's where Yelich sits. And it's a matter for me of like, do I think the environment of him going to Miller Park makes him, sways him to change his path at all to kind of elevate and possibly get into more pull side power? And at the end of the day, I think the answer is no. Whereas I think a lot of people are assuming the answer is going to be yes. I think he can make some adjustments and that'll help him out. But I don't really, I don't know. Like it's, this is one of those things like, you got to understand what he's going to do. You know, I didn't see, I haven't seen, True. he's actually a guy I want to watch in spring, just see if I notice any differences in how he's hitting. And I, I don't know if he's played yet or I just haven't seen him, but I wanted to take a look at some of his tape. But 
it's a tough one because we don't know is the, is the question. We don't know if he's going to change his swing. If you take the Yelich from last year and put him in Miller Park, it's better, but it's not 28 to 35 home runs better. You know, it's not that window that everyone I think is kind of like, oh, he can get there with Miller. But it's like he can get there with Miller, but he's got to go all pull side for that. And then you're taking away a lot of the average. You're taking away a lot of the other stuff that I think he could be very productive in. But the thing that actually blows me away the most is that Rasball has him ranked inside, like as far as returning value-wise. They have him ranked, I think, 19th overall, which is the biggest discrepancy they have on a guy that's top 50. It's about like 40-ish rank off. So what they're projecting, what Rudy's adjusting off of steamer, Rudy believes generates back top 20 value. And that is aggressive. And I kind of see it if this adjustment's made, but it's a big if then for me. And that's where I'm kind of hung up. But I, I will make sure I own some shares as I do. Buxton's going to be tough for me to own some shares. I'm going to own some shares of Bauer, but Yelich, I'm going to make sure I own some Yelich shares, even if I have to overpay. Yeah, and I like it a lot. You made a great point. Is He might not need to be that guy. He's still been 18 homers last year, 21 the year before. Roster resource has him leading off. If he's your leadoff guy and you have Kane and maybe Thames certain days, but Braun and you have Domingo Santana, Travis Shaw, those are your power backs. Just get on base. Do what you do best. Hit, Go find the gaps. I think one thing he, he may do more of, because Craig Council does that, and I know people have talked about it, is steal bases. This guy does have, you know, close to 20-20 potential, uh, if not like 15-20 or something. He hits close to, to 290 plus 300. On-base percentage league's even better. I, I think it's a great point you're making that he doesn't need to make the adjustment. I wouldn't be shocked if he makes a little because I do remember when he does hit home runs, he can crush them. The guy's got power. He's got power. I've seen yeah. him in Miami just destroy some balls. But it's not his game, and it wasn't Ichiro's game. They, they have a similar uh, – you break down the footage way more than I do, but just, just kind of this the slap at the ball, just gap-to-gap type thing. They got a lot of that together, and that could be a very good point that most people aren't paying attention to. But a 20-20 guy that's 290-plus is going to score close to 100 runs, drive in 80-plus. That is tremendous return. Like oh, yeah. About. It's, it's fantastic return, regardless of anything that happens. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm interested. It's one of those things, too. Like, I feel like a lot of people might take credit if they rank him super high. Like, yeah. in the, and, and then he returns that. Value. Like, I oh, should have taken him earlier. But I want to go back and look at all those people and go, did you think he was going to make an adjustment? Because that exactly. is, for me, that's the main thing. Like, you got to, you can buy into him and say he's a top 20 player, but you have to also buy into the fact he's making an adjustment. I think that he's going to be a very productive hitter this year. I'd be stunned if he falls outside of like top 60 value. Honestly, like that's a really, really good floor. And if you're into that floor and you want to, I mean, you combo up like Yelich and fam right there. There's a good shot. You're getting like 40 bombs, 30 bags with really, really stable average, decent counting stats. Maybe not so much on the RBI side. Fam should be hitting in the heart of the order where Yelich is going to lead off, but I like that combo a lot from the outfield perspective. I know that a lot of people kind of wait on outfield because it's deep, but I tend to kind of veer more towards the best player available strategy. And I've run with that for the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get some shares of Yelich. I'm really interested to see what happens to him this year. Yeah. And just a brief side note, we'll go to the next guy. But uh, when it comes to the outfield thing, I used to wait a lot. I'm already noticing this year, especially in five outfielder leagues, go get some of the bigger boys early because it, yeah, you There's guys out there, but it gets iffy quick. It's a lot of like bets. Like it's a lot of like, yeah. oh, if this guy does four things differently, maybe yes. he'll return top 100. But it's not like, mm-hmm. like a couple years ago, I think Pollock was sitting down there. A lot of, a lot of people liked him. Yeah. It's tough. There's value there, and you can find guys you like, but yeah. it, it thins out. It does thin out. Thins out a ton. Uh, let's go to a starting pitcher, Cincinnati Reds. Great rookie campaign. 
you know, to start the year, he was Mr. Helium when it came to starting pitchers. But now he's sitting around 101, 33rd pitcher off the board in the NFBC. Luis Castillo was phenomenal last year. His stuff is filthy. Everything profiles great. Young arm. Everything you want to see. Are you all in on Castillo like some other big names out there? Or are you kind of, he's young, I got to see more. Yeah, I, I'm all in on him, actually. I, I, I want to consider myself a little bit of a hipster on him because I wrote about him last September when he was shut down and I was just kind of looking for a story and I dug into him and I was just kind of like, oh my God, like you look at what he did. He came up, I actually remember watching his first start um, against the Nationals where he came up and everyone was like, oh, young kid coming up, got electric fastball, throws really hard, let's see. And then the consensus after that game was his fastball was too straight. Everyone was just like, ah, oh, he's okay. Yeah. His fastball's really, really straight, whatever. And it's like, all right, I get that. It's an understandable knock, whatever. But what he did was he added a two-seamer. And when he added his two-seamer, he elevated his fastball. And when you elevate a fastball with a lower spin rate, that tends to be a little bit more productive. So if you split up his location chart on just his four-seamer right after he added this two-seamer, it elevates a ton. So the fact that he elevated that fastball and he was able to use that two-seamer to, to kind of target the bottom of the zone so he had another pitch to instead of throwing everything up and breaking balls he was able to kind of go two seamer low four seamer high he made both of those pitches better and that is just unbelievable to me like i i love that adjustment i love that that pitch was effective that he found a way to make a pitch with a lower spin rate in his fastball that doesn't really have too much jump on it that wasn't really getting a lot of people out a lot of people were tagging it he found a way to make that pitch productive and he's got unbelievable stuff otherwise and he he falls into this really really interesting category of a lot of strikeouts, really good swing and miss on all his pitches, including his changeup. And and he gets a ton of ground balls. He gets a lot of ground balls on his changeup. He gets a lot of ground balls on that two-seamer, et cetera. And that is a combo that very few guys fall into. You you see guys like Dallas Keuchel's probably the biggest brainchild of it. Where And he's such an outlier. I, I don't like any Keuchel comp just because of – if you look at any of his heat maps on where he throws his pitches, it is – pinpoint accuracy at the bottom yeah. of the zone it's one of the most unbelievable like heat maps get really boring to look at and if you think they're boring to look at go look at dallas keichel's and you'll be like i don't understand how anyone could be that consistent that low in the zone it's it's bonkers he blurs the line between strike and ball at the bottom of the zone and the, one of the things he does really well is create a lot of he misses a lot of bats and he creates a lot of ground balls which is just a beautiful combination and i'm gonna say like castillo reminds me a ton of paxton from last year who's another guy that i was absolutely all in on just because i loved everything he was doing i bought into the arm slot change and kind of uh that mitigating some of the health risk and he returned better value than where his adp was at the end of the year which is something i don't think a lot of people harp back on because there was a lot of people going oh, i don't know about his adp whatever he was going like 120 ish i think he returned top 90 value even with the li limited innings he threw he was a very very good pitcher when he was on the mound I was all in. I had him in a ton of leagues. He hurt me when he was out, but when he was in there, my ratios were unbelievable. And with Castillo, it seems like the helium is getting a little bit crazier than I thought it would. And the biggest bummer for me is that I didn't buy in earlier. I don't have any leagues that drafted early where I got to jump on him. So I'm going to be paying face value. Like I think he can return what Paxton did last year. I think he is that kind of pitcher where you can return top 80 value, but you're paying 95 overall tag. Whereas last year you could have gotten Paxton like 140 and he returned top 90. And I think I, I saw him 140 ADP everywhere. And I was willing to go up to about a hundred on him, which was much more aggressive than a lot of people were. I think I ranked him like 95 to start the year. And everyone was like, that's dumb. And I was like, I just, I, you got to buy in on these guys. Like if yep. you want to get an ace, like I, I love, I love Castillo. And if you filter the NFBC, uh, ADP for the first of the year, 
through today, it actually his his ADP is already up to ninety five, and oh, it's it's a little scary because that's six spots and that's one of the bigger risers. And I think a lot of people are just buying in because they're seeing what I'm seeing, and it's completely understandable. And I love him, but I'm I'm a little worried that it's going to get a little bit too rich. But I he's another guy where I'm just going to have to get a share too because I'm so all in. Yeah. I have to you got to you got to kind of put your money where your mouth is sometimes, and that's where yeah. I'm going with him. Yeah, I absolutely love Castillo. He's, you know, there's a, people point at the home run to fly ball at 17.2%. That was great American small park people. Just let that one slide. Even with that, he had a 3-1-2 ERA, struck at almost 10 batters per nine. It, the kid is legit. The bit, the part I like the most, and it could be concerning because 2016, he threw 131, 32 innings. Last year, he threw almost 170 innings. So he stretched out, which is the part I like the most about him. Yeah, so a there's a there's a lot to like because a lot of those young arms you you know you got the your hand your handicap because you only get so many innings. This knock on wood should be good to go. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about a big power bat out of the Bay Area and it's not Barry Bonds. It is Matt <laughs> Olson. This guy came on the scene last year and I I talked about him two years ago as a first base prospect to keep an eye on. Um, he, he, he exploded last year. People, when Reese Hoskins was having his his moment, Matt Olsen showed up and he tried to one-up them and he might have, depending on who you talk to. You did a great, you know, comp video about him and I know you've looked at him some more. What are you looking at for Matt Olsen this year? Yeah, I, I uh, it was funny. I, I forgot, almost forgot that I wrote about him a while ago. I had to go back to that comp and remember. Because, yeah, right when Hoskins was killing it, I think I wrote a comp about Olsen. I am kind of here and there on Olsen, and I don't really know why because the power's legit. I actually, the funniest thing is I like the the A's as a team this year. Um, I, sneaky, I love. I always look at them. They have some sneaky, sneaky. I, they got my boy Piscotti. I always love Piscotti. I'm a Cardinals fan. Um, Piscotti's a guy that I love, and I love. I, I just, I, I just like him a lot. I think from an OBP standpoint, he's really good, and he does a lot of things well on the diamond. And it's not. He's just kind of like your your typical like 15, 15, 280 guy with like a 340 OBP. He's like productive, but never shines, whatever. But, but that team has a lot of those weird components. Like Blake Trinan, the pen's pretty good. Ryan Dole's not a bad reliever. They got a lot of weird, like Chris Davis to DH. I actually like kind of, I think the move enjoys the left. Um, and then they got Olsen and he's got a big, big power bat. And I, the, the adjustment that I liked that he made from the prior, he, he completely changed what he was doing. And he actually like probably added to his, mechanics a lot of people kind of tend to think that simplifying is the way to go which is it's often the case a lot of the, i do kind of these side by side gifs i try to put one up every monday and I, i'll probably be picking it up as we get into the season i really like doing those just for my own understanding of what the guys are doing too and i think other people appreciate it but but yeah olsen i mean he was really compact actually and he just got his hands all out over the plate he actually reminds me a little bit of this is kind of a funny comp but Shohei Otani a little bit how his hands are preload like Hotani is a much bigger leg kick Olsen doesn't really have too much of his lower body in there he, he kind of gets into his back hip a little more but as far as where their hands go you don't see a lot of guys with their hands like extended out over the plate and Otani does this and Matt Olsen does does this and I can't really think of anyone else that kind of does it and but uh, Olsen's load as far as when he goes back is really simple once he gets into his hands out it's just it's straight back and it's straight through the zone and he hits some bombs that were just Oh my God, those balls just kept going. Um, I, I honestly like I I might want to do a redive on him just to kind of get a better understanding. I think the thing that I didn't like that I was a little hesitant on was the fact that he's got some split issues and platoon issues, and this happens a lot with lefty bats where I think he could be limited playing time wise. But at the same time, I mean, if he still puts up 30 home runs and limited playing time, it just makes his value overall better. Um, 
So I think he's a hell of a bat to invest in if you need power, especially if you're going kind of contact and approach to start a draft. I like him a lot. And this kind of goes over to Gallo, who is also kind of on this list here. Yeah, no, that, that's the perfect segue because you got Matt Olson. He's going since the first. He's going about 126 at the first base position. You got Joey Gallo, who's going about 115, a guy that we know is just light tower power, 41 bombs, um, OBP of 333 with a batting average of 209. So depending on your league format, you can pick your poison there. But the, the Gallo train continues to steam forward, and people are really jumping on it. Are you on the train this year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm close to almost all in with Gallo. I'll take him probably above 20 spots of where he's going right now. He's going to 114. I think that's absolute steal. What he's projected for right now on his baseline, which is steamer, it's basically almost duplicating last year. A little bit of an average yeah. jump, a little bit of a K drop, which is what I like. Just I think they're actually kind of just doing that based off general aging curve, which, I I'm, again, I like a ton because he's kind of getting to that peak power age. And the drop-off for power hitters is pretty starch if you look at um, – or staunch. I don't know why I said starch. That's a weird. Like <laughs> starch is like. Well, he hits the ball so hard it just stiffens the air. Exactly. That's they put it in like shirts, right? Like Jesus yes. Christ. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean uh, I don't know where I, well, I was for trying to thought here, but. It's on. Joey Gallo <laughs> does that to people when you just watch yeah. his home run films. It just makes you go to a different universe. I know what I was going with here. I was just saying like they. They're taking off the general aging curve for big power hitters like this falls off very quickly. Staunch, that's it. Staunch kind of fall Staunch. off where it, falls, where it falls off. And uh, he's getting up to that peak in general where you hit that 27 mark before you fall off after. And this is just general aggregate aging curves. I'm not saying on a specific cases. You can pick out a ton of guys who are 32 and hitting bombs. Zimmerman hit like 30-something last year. He was old. But, yeah, Gallo is uh, – if you look at his baseline of what he's going to produce, it is top 100. And I'm still relatively baffled he's going to 114, 150. I really don't know why. I just don't kind of get if, – like, if you're having him around 114, you're basically expecting almost an average drop as well as a home run drop. And that puts him around, like, 120. If you just expect a duplicate of last year, it's top 100. If you expect any improvement at all, he jumps up to the 80s. And that's why I'm willing to take him 20 spots ahead. Because if I pay face value of what he produced last year, and I'm expecting a little bit of improvement based on that kind of aging curve, based on some strikeout increases, in improvement in his approach, excuse me, so decreases in strikeouts, I, I he's just going to produce more. And less strikeouts means that average is going to go up. And if you're thinking about a guy who could put up Stanton-like home run totals with not nearly the same anything else that Stanton does, but just pure home run side, who could lead the league in homers? It's Gallo for me. If you're going on a dark horse pick, everyone, in, I mean, home run title. I actually think the home run title in the AL could be pretty interesting between Judge Stanton and Gallo, and I feel like it could be this interesting play of just like you have the two guys obviously in New York battling against each other, but Gallo is going to be right behind him. Gallo is going to have 40-ish home runs easy, and I think he could challenge 50 plus if he gets any bit of an approach change going. And I, I think in the column I wrote, I mentioned that he had a, he peaked in far of his K rates. He was like 40 something percent strikeout rate middle of the year. And then it fell off a ton. Yeah. And I just really hope if he baselines that throughout the year, that's what I'm hoping for. He'll be, he'll be a stud. He's going to, that's a guy like, I love guys like this who are just misperceived on ADP to my opinion, where he could just, he's already producing off of what he did last year, 20 spots above his ADP. So it's like, I'll pay 20 spots above his ADP. If he duplicates what he gave me last year, returns face value. If he does better than what he did last year, and I expect any improvement, he's returning excess value. And this late in a draft, like I'm, I'm, I'm very content taking Gal. I think I'm going to end up with Gal in a lot, a lot of leagues. Yeah, you got to like him because everything you said, and you look at 37% K rate all of last year in 145 games. People need to realize that's 
nothing to be too worried about, in my opinion, for the fact that he, it was his first real look in the bigs. And it wasn't even – they are always moving him around in positions, DH, this, that, and the other. He could – should play almost every day between dh and first base. That's one positive there. They haven't projected, like you said, Steamer got about 228 average. If people are new to the fantasy game, if if people are new to the fantasy game, you'll remember this name, Lance. It was probably five, six, maybe seven years ago. There was this man named Adam Dunn who would hit hit about 215 and hit 40-plus homers, and he was like the fifth first baseman off the board. People, like, flocked to him. Gallo's better. I, Gallo, I mean, if you look at the thing is one of the things that blows my mind the most about Gallo. Go back, I watch, so I follow a lot of like the prep prospects and stuff, and I love watching Perfect Game, which is out in San Diego. They do like kind of, it's all the high school kids, the top ones, go and play. If you go back and watch, like I think it was 2009 or 2011, I don't remember what year. Gallo hits a ball in San Diego. Oh my God! If yeah. just the fact that that kid was 17 years old and he hit that ball that far, like. Yeah. He, he's he's man child in what he does and it's just yeah i think that the thing is like you're gonna if you're talking guys that are gonna jump up in next year be like top 60 picks i honestly think gal can be up there if he puts up another good Definitely. season and you see a strikeout rate drop at, at any extent he's returning top 70 value and then um, it's a matter of like next year it's gonna be the off season of like thinking he can do more can he hit 240 can he hit 235 245 you know and it's like if you get at that point and you have his power potential hitting 245 like you my take goodness. that average hit because oh my god the home runs are just yeah. insane yeah and he's only 24 so it's only That's gonna keep getting better yeah yeah Let's talk about another youngster, uh, pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, one of their top pitching prospects. People thought he'd be in the starting rotation by now, and he's coming out of the bullpen, which could be a sneaky, nice late play in your drafts. Um, I'm 15-teamers. I definitely have a share of him in one spot. I'm talking about Josh Hader, lefty with the flows, the Lance Bresnowski flows. Um, <laughs> and I think – I'm curious to see what they do with him personally, but big-time strikeout stuff. Control has been an issue, and that's kind of why they're keeping him there, I think. I think he's also working on a third pitch, if I'm not mistaken. But he was very good out of the pen for them last year. What are you looking at with Josh Hader? Yeah, I like Hader a lot in, in Roto Leagues as far as helping out your ratios. Um, like a, I tend to go with a lot of these guys who I think can kind of produce a lot. And I think Hader's kind of a consensus guy. Like if you look at a lot of pure relief pitcher, non-closer ranks, um, he's up there in terms of what he can produce back as far as value goes just because of his ratios and what he's done. But He's really, really good. He's a really, really good pitcher. I think overall, just on his fastball slider. I know he's got some walk problems, but the fact that he's able to do what he does and his FIP is so low, even though he's given up a ton of walks, it just speaks to the testament of his skill set. This slider is just unhittable from the left side. It's actually pretty good from the right side, too. It's He just hides it well enough that it's tough for righties to pick out. But yeah, you mentioned he's kind of working on a third pitch. He's had that third pitch for a bit. It's his changeup. He's modified the grip on it uh, last spring, and I'm interested to see if he does anything more with it. But from my perspective, what I wrote about, he kind of tended to throw two of them. He threw one that was a little bit harder earlier in the count than one was a little bit um, lighter. So generally when you have a higher velocity and a changeup, it results in a little bit more on the ground ball side of things. It mimics a two-seamer a little bit more. And if you take a little bit off of it and you get a little more break on it, it turns into a whiff pitch. And, you know, there's a there's a very f- small subset of guys who have a nice blend of the two. Steven Strasburg's change was probably the best in baseball. Um, used to be Felix Hernandez's was a really good ground ball pitch, really good uh, whiff pitch. And haters is still kind of finding that balance. And I, I actually would be interested to see if he uses it more as a changeup, more, excuse me, as more of a two seamer. So a little bit harder. He has a harder variety of the changeup that I think he can actually use to his advantage. And 
almost basically turn into like kind of a two seam fastball slider guy. But the changeup is essential, absolutely essential for him if he wants to neutralize right-handed batters and turn into a starting pitcher. That's where I think his biggest problem is. I deep down, I really want him to be a starter, but I'm I'm I approve of the decision to him keep him in the pen just because I don't think that changeup is good enough right now to get through the lineup x amount of times but you could have him in there for like two innings like he could run in like a davinsky kind of role where he's yeah. chris davinsky from the astros who i'm referencing there where he's throwing two or three innings and can be pretty good get through a lineup once try to get around those right-handed bats but he's he's a really really good weapon for them to have if you got a couple lefties coming up in, in a lineup in a row you know cubs got rizzo and a couple others um Connors really don't have any big big lefties carpenter actually but he's pretty good against left-handed pitchers um I like him. I like him a lot. I think he's he's around like 300 overall right now. I think that's that's perfectly fine. Like I love it as far as just helping out your ratios, honestly. No, I agree. I think that Davinsky type role could fit him supremely. I think there's a lot of luxuries Council can use him for. You know, late inning lefty like Loogie guy, or he can he he can give you an inning or two. So I definitely like where they're going with that. Um, last guy we'll bring up, and I, I added him last minute just because I saw yeah, you sorry, tweet, tweet tweet about him today, and I'm just curious on, on what your what your thinking is. I, I agree with everything you tweeted about, but Dansby Swanson, once you know number one draft pick for the Diamondbacks, traded to the Braves, and that wonderful Shelby Miller deal, and he had his chance last year, and he had a lot of growing pains in the bigs, but the talent's there. The talent's legit with with, with Swanson. No one can really argue that. Are, are you buying in on him? Because a lot of people are straying away from him right now. Yeah, it's – so this is – this literally happened today. Like, I'll say that. So, like, I'm still digesting what I saw. But he took a pitch. He took an inside fastball from Scherzer and just bombed it. And I actually was – before I jumped into this pod, I was just making up actually a GIF. We had some extra time here um, of uh, my uh, shoot that GIF out on Mondays. Tomorrow's is going to be Swanson. Um What I noticed with him, I was jumping around a bunch of spring training games this morning. I was watching – I put on that because I want to see a Cunha hit. And Swanson came up and popped that ball. What I noticed with him, and I tend not to notice this a lot with guys I don't watch a lot, but I immediately noticed that his hands were lower in where he started them. So he starts his hands now really low. And I didn't get enough of a look to see if it was a consistent thing. But in the at-bat against Scherzer he had in the first inning where he hit this home run, he did it on the first and the second pitch where he basically just like completely relaxes his body and starts with his hands really low and then kind of like shimmies up into his regular swing. And he's got... A guy like Brendan Rodgers, shortstop for the Rockies, who's a prospect we're probably going to see at the end of this year. Possibly he's going to be starting second baseman next year for the Rockies. Has one of the smoothest swings like you're ever going to see. And it, it's eerily similar to Dansby Swanson's. And the question with Rodgers, as it is kind of for Swanson now, is like how much power can be there? And I don't really know. I, I don't want to overreact on one at that one sample. But I just like really simple changes like this where – he seems like he's doing something consciously to relax himself at the plate, probably not start his hands as high and tense up a little bit too much. He wants to start him a little bit lower. And this is actually something Zach Cozart did, which is another gif that I kind of broke down. Cozart used to have his hands really high over his head. And what he did was he brought him flat onto his shoulder and literally just stood there until the pitch came. Then he loaded up and swung and he had a ton of home runs with that. And it, I mean, aside from him being healthy, that was one of the components that he said, just relax him at the plate. And I kind of thought like maybe Swanson's trying to do that. And I looked at Steamer projected him for only nine home runs. That's an easy over for me. Like, I'd love to see – I don't know who does – like, if you do betting at all. Like, I jump over a lot. I always do a couple futures bets. If they put an over-under on Swan- Swanson's home runs, like, I'm taking that right now. I, I think he can easily hit 12. You know, like, nine is so low. Like, if it's higher than that, okay, maybe I don't want to get too confident with it. But he's the everyday shortstop. I, I like him a lot. 
Um, actually, no, I'll take that back. I don't like him a lot. I, I'm interested to see kind of where this goes long term. And I, I think it's I don't want to overreact is the main thing. So I'm not bullish on him. I'm not flat on him. I'm not punting him. I'm not kind of acquiring him, whatever. But he's going 387 overall in drafts. I, my philosophy has always been like once you get past 250, I really don't care what you do. If you want to draft David Ortiz, hoping he comes back, like there's a really good chance that the guy I'm drafting is probably going to return negative value and David Ortiz returns nothing. So like you went out taking David Ortiz, you know, something dumb like that. So exactly. 387 overall, he's around like Troy Tulowitzki and Joe Panic. Like no offense to Giant fans out there, but like. <laughs> Uh, what, are, what are they? What are those guys going to return? We already know two of those average guy, pure average. Like Corey Spangenberg is right in that same window. Like I, I don't even know how many people know who Corey Spangenberg is. If you're just a, a casual fantasy player, like take the shot on Swanson, go, go 50 spots above where he's going ADP wise and scoop him. Like it, you just guys like this, they put it together. He puts up a 20 home run season. He's going to be like a top 150 pick next year. You know, like, I'm I'm interested. I'm interested. I don't want to overreact too much. I'm thinking about writing a column on it possibly, but I, I want to see a little more than just the one at, ba- at bat I saw. No, and I like it because, like I said, the talent's there. He just hasn't found it yet. So, you know, you get him in you know, 360-ish, somewhere in that range, you, you could easily get 150 value out of him because the talent is legit. So, like you said, you know, maybe he figures it out. And if he doesn't, you draft him that late, you can drop him. It's exactly. that simple. Like, it's not going to hurt your team. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to hurt your team. So it's one of those guys to look at later in drafts. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about RotoWare. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it. They're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. The no other brand can compete with RotoWare in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. There's over 30 different designs right now. It's just crazy, all the stuff they have coming out. And there's more and more stuff every time you turn your head. They have fantasy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, some really cool DFS ones. But everything's great. They have men's, women's, and kids. Check them all out. Go to rotoware.com, R-O-T-O-W-E-A-R.com. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Rotoware. But the cool part, guys... If you use the promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DEGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. I could talk players with you all day, so I think we'll have to do that again sometime. But um, let's go into... Uh, a draft you took part in recently, a CBS NL only auction draft. And first off, I believe you were the champion last year. Oh yes, sir. Yeah, it was my big, yes. uh, my first uh, expert league title. Uh, yeah, it was funny too because it was the. I'm gonna. I'll admit. I don't know how many times I've been. That was the first time I did like an an industry NL only. Like I really had never played NL only, and I just kind of built a strategy. What I really like doing for auctions like this is literally just putting the players down that you want and working them into your budget and coming up with a range of what you want to pay. And then in draft, when those guys come up on the board, you look at what your values are and then you bid up until the point. Like I know a lot of people have really hard line auction values. I'm not that way. Like I don't do that. If I want a guy, I'm going to pay $3 over. I don't care. I don't think that there's a massive difference between 27 and 30 for a guy, you know, 
Like I just, it doesn't matter that much to me. If I'm buying into a guy and I project him out and put up a window, I'm fine with going a couple over that window. And I think that that might be what helps me a little bit. And also probably what hurts me a little bit on some of the picks I had last year that screwed me over. But I mean, the one also, I'm going to admit one of the reasons I won last year was because I, I took Cody, Cody, Cody Bellinger pretty late. So we have like an auction that runs for your starting lineup. And then there's a reserve draft. And I knew I had a late pick in the reserve draft. Like I had like the back end pick. So what I did was I actually, when everyone was down to $1 bids, I bid $1 on Cody Bellinger before he was even up on like the reserve side. Cause everyone just assumed he was going reserve side, but I was like, I'm going to bid a dollar now. Everyone else has a dollar. So no one can upbid me. And I won Cody Bellinger, put him on my bench, stashed him. And probably, he, he won me the league, honestly. And I, oh, had yeah. I just literally went combo up. Just, I only started Kershaw and DeGrom. I got to my innings total. And then I just went all relievers and I, I ended up scooping Brandon Morrow. So the Dodgers helped me a ton, obviously. Brandon Morrow uh, had like a Rodas Vizaino when um, Jim Johnson dropped, dropped out of the closer role in Atlanta. It's just I, a lot of things clicked. I don't know if I'm going to defend my title this year. I got to say, I, I like my team. I think I'm going to be competitive, but man, NL only is, is a beast, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's look at these teams and, and uh, the links on CBS Sports. They do a great job, actually. There's one column, position by position, high price to low price, and then another yep. column. I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at it right now and all the players and their teams. And it's really, really good, and I'm on yours right now. I am intrigued by a couple of things. First off, we'll start okay. with your with your rotation. I'm a big fan of how you do this because people need to take into consideration it is NL only. So you, they're going to have a lot of names you usually would have nothing to do with. Just remember that out the gate. But I love your your big three of Strasburg, uh, John Gray, and Luis Gohara. I love Gohara this year. Big time fan of his. And then you backed it up with guys like Waka and Nelson, who comes back after a few months, who could be great for five bucks. And you know he's returning more than five dollars in value last year. And uh, Waka could easily get you past eight bucks. The way things could change for him. So I, I like your staff. Is there anything different you you would have done with your your pitching? Any guys you might have? thought back and I should have paid more for, or are you, are you pretty good with your, your starting pitchers? Oh, absolutely. The immediate one that comes to mind is Luis Castillo. Um, the thing with this draft was that, you know, as I said, I break out every guy that I want. And then when those come up on the auction, I pay based off that. So like, I look at what, who's up on the board. And the funniest thing with this was like, oh, wow, the, the three guys who were on my team, I, uh, I looked at them and they all came up in like the first 10 picks. And I was like, so I have to spend all my money now and it froze me. And it was like one of those things I was just blown away. But Luis Castillo went for like 18, 18 and I, yeah. I don't know why I didn't pay more. I like, I've been talking him up my whole life, but the thing that I think happened to me was I got money shy. So like, I think I bought, I want to look at who was auctioned off when, but it's quick. Cause it's like, I spent like 30 something. No, what I spent on Marcel, I spent 29 on Azuna, which is probably yeah. a little bit of an overpay. And I think I spent that very shortly after I spent, 22 on Ozzy Albies, which I actually like the value on. So I, yeah. I was like literally $60 down, and then Luis Castillo comes up. I already had Strasburg for 27 who I think I, I absolutely love Strasburg this year. That's a great price. really I, is. If there's anyone that's going to jump up into the elite tier of pitchers where yep. your, your sale, Kluber, Scherzer, Kershaw, it's, it's Strasburg for me. And I don't think there's okay. any other debate for anyone else. It's clear front runner right now is Steven Strasburg for me to jump up into that tier. So I, I was a guy I was paying whatever. I'll pay 32 for him. I don't care. Like that was what I came into this draft as, which I know is, again, it's a strategy I know you're going to hear that a lot of people go away from, but it's just kind of how I run. Like if I want a guy, I'm going to invest him and go that way. And it's going to hurt me a ton. I know that, but, but in situations where it works out, it works out. But yeah, I'm still kicking myself about not paying at least like 22 for Castillo. 
Like if I just like the thing is like the worst part is like gimme like let me toss back John Gray for sixteen and let me find my six dollars, take it out elsewhere, and give me Castillo, and I would have been I would be enamored with this team if I had Strasburg Castillo. And that's just that I was kicking myself so hard on that when I saw that value go. I just, I don't know what I did. Like, I think I, I just got money shy. I saw all my money go off the board. I know I was one of the people in the draft who spent a lot early, which for some reason tends to happen. I think it's because I just like certain guys and they tend to come up early, but um, I, it was tough. It was tough for me to sleep that night knowing I, I passed on an $18 Luis Castillo. Oh, it was just terrible. Yeah, I'm shocked he went that cheap because especially when I'm looking at, you know, Samarja went for 19. Nola, who I'm a big fan, Nola, who I'm a big fan of, went 24. I yeah, don't know he was if another he's guy. I had, but I, yeah. had, I had Nola 22 to 24, and it was yeah. really late in the draft when he came up. He got pushed a ton. I almost forgot yeah. he was on the board, and I just didn't have the money to spend on him. I think I already bought John Gray and bought Waka at that point, and I was like, I can't spend 24. And I just, I was pissed because I love Nola too. He's another guy that I liked. So here's a starting pitcher I don't understand. And I, I like his stuff. I just think there's going to be a roller coaster this year. And that it could totally be me. I'm not a okay. pitching expert by any means. Not on your team. I'm talking about the starting, but Luke yeah. Weaver went for 18 bucks. That one, out of like, you know, you have Godley at 18, Castillo at 18, who you mentioned, Quintana at 18. Uh, it was well. That must that must have been late or something because eighteen seems a little steep for me. When John Gray at sixteen, I'd rather have Gray at sixteen than Weaver at eighteen. Yeah, I, I understand that, and I actually that's great because you're you're complimenting my team there. <laughs> but <laughs> I, the funniest thing I think that what you see in a lot of auction drafts is that the values correlate with ADP pretty well. And prior, it just seems like that was a reflection of old ADP because I know Castillo and Weaver were similar, like in December. But I know that Castillo has jumped ahead now ADP-wise, and Weaver's probably fallen a little bit. But, yeah, that's – I mean, if you're telling me Weaver or Castillo, I bet 80% of the industry takes Castillo. So that is then the question as to why they were the same value in this draft. But I, I'll tell you right now, a lot of funky things happen, happen in auctions. And uh, Oh, yeah. I don't know what that – I don't remember particularly if I bid on him. I might have put a – I might have went up to like 14 on him, and then someone just went up to 16. I probably didn't have any money, but – yeah, that is a weird one, especially when you look competent to Castillo. So, yep. yeah, it's tough. Um, I like the Ziegler because he's a closer at the moment. I'm guessing this is a saves hold league. It's No, it's just saves, actually. Mm. I, I don't like that Ziegler value. It's tough. But yeah, I, my strategy, closer. So I, yeah, I know, it's tough. I See, the thing was I punted saves last year. I was last in saves and I won the league. So I think I was just jaded and going with that. But the, So the other biggest regret I have is not paying 22 or 23 for Kenley Jansen. Because oh, that's cheap. Yeah, I know. And it was I, I the other thing again. I built my team and I had Jansen in there at twenty three, and then I think I ended up spending another bunch of money on someone. Probably like or I think I spent our eighteen on our CS too much. I don't know why I did that, but but yeah, twenty two for Jansen is like why didn't I go with that? Like you could combo Strasburg Jansen, give me another shitty middle infielder, go away from Orlando RC at eighteen dollars that I spent. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of regret, but you got to. I'm sticking to my guns. Tough. Like we talked about before the show was started, it's four and a half to five hours long. It's really it's, tough. It to wears on you. It's grinding. <laughs> it can be like water torture at times. You just. You, I love it, it, but it's tough, man. It's tough. Yes, it is a grind and a half. Uh, one, one at your last picture. I want well, there are a couple more pictures, but I really like the dollar for Yoshi Hirano. Yeah. Because I think he's got late inning potential there in Arizona. And uh, the other guy I want to mention, you got him for a $0 bid. I love that Michael Lorenzen call. That's a guy I've looked at yeah. really, really, really deep leagues late. 
he's coming back, and I think that could be very interesting. I love Lorenzen a lot. I actually ended up with Lorenzen on a ton of random teams that I've drafted. I got him in a dynasty league I'm drafting right now really late. I think that aside from the fact that he's just a good pitcher overall, and he, he actually looked really, really good in his first spring outing, he's got a really good chance to slot in and get some saves if Iglesias gets hurt. And we've had some injuries with Iglesias in the past. Like, he's the clear frontrunner to pull that job. He's the set of man. He's the eighth guy in that inning. In that in that pen, I think he could clearly jump up and get some saves if he needs it. But I'd be interested if they want to stretch him out a little bit. I just think he's a good ratio. This guy, like he's another guy I'm just gonna plug in on off days when I just want some ratio help. <laughs> Excuse me, because that's how I, I tend to kind of help out in leagues like this. Like my strategy and stuff like this is generally just to go with like two or three starting pitchers I'm confident in, and then kind of just go relievers, try to grab relievers and plug those and get some K's and innings that way. So I'll probably be starting Strasburg every time out. I'll be starting John Gray every time out. Gohar, I might be on and off with, and Walk, I might be on and off with. But I mean, Jimmy Nelson again. That goes to IRI, get the roster spot, and hope he comes back and does what he did. So, yeah, yeah. A, lot of strat- a lot of strategy being played there. Yeah, let's talk about some of your bats. Um, like I said, we won't go over every player you have, but the Josh Bell for nineteen could be sneaky nice, kind of a middle price first baseman there. I want to know you had Ozzy Albies at twenty two. I love the kid. Talk about helium. He has it this year. Um, I think Brian Anderson at seven bucks could be very, very good return. Everyday third baseman there. Can't hate Chris Bryant at all. Ozuna, Domingo Santana, I like. Orlando RC at 18 bucks. You already hinted on it. Yeah. Just kind of heat of the moment. I really don't know. I I like (laughs) RC a bit. Um, I like him a lot too. I was like, (laughs) he was, uh, I really don't know what the funniest thing is. Like we were talking about like general drafting strategy. If you look at almost any single one of my teams, I never have any middle infield depth. And for some reason, I looked like after I made about 20 picks in this draft and I was like, wow, my middle infield is like actually kind of good. Yeah, your middle <laughs> like, infield is very good. It's, it's the strong. First time I, and I have depth with it too. Like Defoe is a guy I had on my team last year and I know I want it again. He's, he's just going to slot in there like whenever someone's yep. hurt on the Nationals and gets him at bats. And he's not a terrible player. And oh, uh yeah, I paid too much for Arcia. Absolutely, I, I wear, I'll no, wear that badge. It's, I'm not going to actually say that now. The more I look at shortstop, because I remember hearing it, it's weak. It's, really it's weak. Because Trey Turner went through the roof, stolen bases. I get he that. He was like fifty dollars in this draft. Yeah, forty nine bucks. Top, I think he's the highest wild. price guy. Bananas. Oh yeah. <laughs> but oh but then you got Corey Seager, Paul DeYoung. Trevor Story went for $21. I'd rather have an $18 RC personally. I'd rather have an $18 RC than a $24 DeYoung because I like DeYoung. I just don't know if he's going to give you $24. Um, and Everything. then, yeah. 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 And after RC, you got a Metrizaria at 15, Addison Russell at 15, maybe Chris Owens it's at okay. 12 now that you see the trade. But it, when you look at that, I can't really hate on 18 bucks for RC. I'm not even just trying to kiss your rear end because you're on this pod. <laughs> Just saying, like when you look at, and that's what we talk about all the time on, you know, getting draft strategy and this, that, and the other. A lot of it has to do with how the draft's going. Things dictate things that you might not have planned for, and you have to adjust on the fly. And that could be one of them, right there. I think so. I think you're very you're spot on with that. I mean, that's the thing too. Like the bats were just generally more expensive in this draft too. Like Bell at 19, I actually like that value. I think you were. I like that a lot. Easily more than that. I think he's just a solid all around hitter. And the thing too, I realized as I was making this team going through is is how it was shaping out. Was like, I don't really have anyone on this team that's going to slaughter me in average. And I think that for some reason I started boosting guys who were like 270, 65 ish hitters because of that. So like Albies, I think it's hit. 270. I think Bell could get up to 280. Barnes could be 280. 
Brian Anderson could probably be 270 with some pop. Flores is a high average guy. Arcia's hopefully a high average guy. Ozuna's a high average guy. Santana obviously drops down a little bit. But like Tapia, I liked as kind of a later pick there for eight bucks. I think he could slot in. He's going to get some bags. He's going to hit really well. And I kind of realized at the end of this draft that like my team is okay on average too. So I hope I, I, I'm a front runner in that category, which is a, not something a lot of people plan for, but it kind of just fell into my lap. And I think that kind of pushed Arcia forward. But I mean, you're looking at the Steamer for projections for Arcia right now. They're saying 140 games, 14-14 with 262. So it's a little tough on that 262 there. I'm hoping he could get to the 270, 280 he was last year. I think they're assuming that his speed maybe doesn't play up on the game side as much. He doesn't have too much of an ISO. But he could take a walk. Like, I I, I don't know. I, it's interesting. Like, I kind of want to talk myself into it. I still think it's an overpay. But, I, I mean, you're looking at, like, 21 on story, like, that's all power. I already had some power in the Zuna Brian. I didn't really want any more power. Like I don't need four story, more Story, story could be that guy you have to pay a bunch for that could burn you. Like last year, like there's no, no one would be shocked if he had another dud. Yeah, and like I mean, Brendan Rodgers is almost ready. Like he could play yeah. short. I don't think I've seen him a couple times out in Hartford, Connecticut. There, he's there legit. Double teams there. He's legit, but I I don't think he's a shortstop legit actually. From what I True. saw in his mannerisms, True. I think he ends up sliding in at second base when Lemayhu leaves, but. If they want to try him out at short, if story sucks, like, fine, go for it. He's gonna be, he's gonna be fine. You know, there's gonna be nothing wrong with him going there. So, I don't know. I'm trying to jump to story's projections quick to see if I can get him, but my computer's being slow. But uh, I'll, I'll check him out. I guess, I guess we just convinced ourselves that RC wasn't a terrible pick, even though I, I deep down, kind of know it is. <laughs> I think, a, I think a lot of it has to do with situation. That's where I'm going with that because he's gonna be good. He's a 15, 15 type guy in a long league. That's valuable. Especially a short stuff. It is. The, the non-steer on bases, too, are huge because it's Billy Hamilton, it's Trey Turner, and then what? Starling Marte? Like, yes. I don't want to pay 30 for Starling Marte when I think that I'm probably a little lower on than the industry on him. So, I don't know. I don't mind it. 14, if he can give me 15, 15 and get to 270, I'll be happy. But I think if he falls to, like, the 255, I get a little bit worried. Yeah, Steamer has Trevor's story at about 252 average, 25 homers, 80 RBIs, 69 runs, 9 stolen bases. It's pretty so. good. That's Not an aggressive bad. projection. Yeah, I'd probably go a little lower on the average. And I mean, cores, I can't I can't go away from that home run total. So yeah, you can't hate on that. Um, out of all the teams that participated, we don't have to go over each one of them. Are there one or two teams that really stood out to you that you're like, dang, they did really good? Oh, Razball. Gray did an unbelievable job with his team. Um, and it was funny because we were like messaging back and forth a little bit. And uh, he's in the chat. He's a hilarious guy. If anyone ever interacts with him, this guy's an absolute just He's so funny. I just love everything about him. But uh, his team was just kind of one of those teams that I looked later, and he paid up on a couple guys that I also liked. And this was more just correlation of value. So, like, I liked some of his guys. But uh, he ended up with, like, a $3 Yosemite Tomas, which I after he went off the board for only $3, I, I immediately typed in, like, the group chat. I was just like, did anyone else, like, want to bid on him? Because that is just insane, insane value. Like, I don't understand. I think it was just one of those misbids where no one bid. But $3 on Yosemite Tomas helped out his ratios everywhere else. I'm trying to plug the rest of his lineup. I'm trying to go to his team right now and try to read it off quick. But it's just a lot of guys I like. It's a, He's it's got a, a really solid team looking at it right now. And he, the hey, thing was, Tommy he, Joseph for a buck, Azuya Hay for yeah. a I mean, for nothing. Damn. It's that's the thing. Like, you get a couple guys like that on the team, and it looks really good. So, like, uh, what do you get? Austin Hedges for 6 bucks. I heard he made a swing adjustment. I love that. Paid up on Myers. Went with Coors Bats. 
he went he went Desmond Story middle infield. I think there's there's a small strategy there by him of going targeting those guys. But like Minerva Sierra at one dollar is an absolute steal because if Brinson isn't what we think Brinson is, he's the starting outfielder. He's gonna His steal team's really good. It's really good. He only see yeah. other other oh really good, other really good value here is Acuna at nineteen. He was one That's of the first true. first names off the board, and this was the opposite of me being money shy. I was being reserved, and I just didn't want to bid on him for some reason. I was just like too early, too early in the draft. I don't want to bid. And then he went for nineteen. I was expecting him to go like twenty five with the helium he's getting, but this is a good team. This is a very very good team. I, if I had to I, buy I, stock in a team, it's this team. I think this team wins. I love what he did with this. I love what he did with this pitching because he put a lot of money into his offense, which it worked because he get Darvish at twenty five. Philippe Rivera at 19, Corbin at 10, and then a $3 Vince Velasquez, $3 Sean Newcomb, $3 Jason Vargas, $2 Walker Buehler, who I love, $2 Chris Stratton, who I think could be pretty decent, especially for 2 bucks, $2 Jarek Eikhoff I like. You know, you never know, Scott Kavner, Tyson Roth, Mike Montgomery for a, for nothing. That's sneaky. <laughs> it's a really yeah. good team. It's That's scary a, good, honestly. Like, yeah, man, looking at that. Ralph that actually – or Ralph, excuse me. I'm thinking of the podcast partner I have. Um, Gray's won this league, I think, three of the last four years, and I knocked him off last year. And I would, not, I would not be shocked if he wins it this year and I hopefully knock him off next year. <laughs> yeah, that's but, a pretty uh, solid deal yeah, there. It's a scary, scary team. It's a scary uh, team. We already mentioned Trey Turner went for way too much money. Are there like one or two other guys that went for, for too much in your opinion? Um, let me jump to the values quick. Uh, I mentioned I was a little low on Marte. I think he went high twenties. I'd probably punt that. Um, Trey Turner at 49. Oh, it's tough. 49 is a lot of money. I know it's the middle infielder, et cetera. Well, let's, let's refresh everybody real quick. What's your budget you start with? You start with 260. And, uh, a lot of these values might like might look a very, very weird on some of the lower level guys, but this is because it's NL only. So like Josh Bell's going to go for $19 in an NL only. Like, that's just his standard price. I actually think that's fair value for him, really. But in a mixed league, he's going to fall. He's going to be like a $10 guy because it's just like the top end talent resembles similarly what the general dollar value is for general auction. But the lower end talent, like, you're not going to spend $19 on someone like Wilson Contreras, probably in a mix. He's probably going to go for $15. Uh, like Cesar Hernandez at 18 and now only he's going to go for like 10 in a mix. So there's a lot of guys like that, but, uh, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember back to the draft that there was any names that I was like, how is he still going in value? Keeps going up and up and up, but, um, no one's really jumping out to me right now. I think there was a lot of good picks. Like a lot of the values were right around where I expect them to be. And that's the biggest Hmm. thing for me. Um, what about Charlie Blackman for $2 more than Bryce Harper? Yeah, Blackman. Blackman's a good one. I don't think he should have gone for that much. I think a lot of people are s- smelling some regression with him, and I, I probably fall in the line with that. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he, he's probably if you're looking at a first round pick that isn't going to return first round value. It's Blackman for me, unfortunately. Um, I don't mean to knock the Giants here, but Buster Posey for twenty four. I thought that too when I saw uh, it. I, I'm not. Like I you can knock it all you want. I agree. What are you gonna like? He's he's a really good player. He's invaluable to that team. But on the fantasy side of things, like. Buster Posey is a guy I will never own based on where he's going. And I'm always dumbfounded when he goes like top 70 in drafts. Like, so I heard someone in the industry rank like him above Gary Sanchez. And I just was like, what, Ooh. why? Like, what is Posey going to do that produces more value than Sanchez? Like nothing. $24. I, I wouldn't think, I don't think if that person offered me anyone on my team below like $24, I don't even know if I'd take Posey. Like, honestly, like I got Barnes at 11. I'm completely content with that. Yeah. If you yeah. if obviously I'd swap Barnes for Posey just because of the playing time, but like Posey for Arcia, like 
just give me, just let me hold Arcia. Like five dollars more, I got Marcelo Zuna, who's going to hit thirty home runs and bat two seventy in a decent yeah. lineup. Just change the scenery for him. Like that's rough value for me. Twenty four for a catcher is just tough. It's tough. Last question I have here for the auction draft. Is there a way for people like myself or listeners that might be curious to kind of track how your guys' season's going, or is this kind of just between you guys and we'll find out when it's all done? I mean, I'll be tweeting about it a bit. I'll try to do some write-ups on it. Um, I really don't know. I, I don't know. This is one of the – there's like four or five CBS leagues that are probably held a little bit higher in terms of what they track. But I don't know if they track it. I mean, anyone that wants to reach out to me on Twitter, I, I don't, I'll snapshot you like a, a, st- a leaderboard of the standings at any time. I don't mind doing that. I get a screenshot on my phone and shoot out a tweet. So I'm at Lance Brosdow if you want to do that. Or even email me and I'll send you one. I don't care. But I really don't know. I don't know if anyone tracks these. I wish that there was probably like an aggregated source. That's actually that's, a good idea. Come no, up with like a big one. Like labor, all the CBS yes, exactly. leagues, some of the bigger expert leagues. That'd be cool. Cause I even want to see like, okay, somebody got added or dropped for this thing. Like, I want to see what's going on. What's the mindset, stuff like that. And I know a lot of other people do. I know Walter McMichael from the real fake baseball was talking about the other day, trying to figure it out. I think it's, it's really complicated, but I think if everybody got involved. It could be done. It'd be really cool. I think it'd be a great source for that could give all of us different content to talk do, about yeah, really I was easily. About to say the content, that would be huge. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's talk prospects because if you guys missed the first five minutes of the podcast, I mentioned he works for – he writes for CBS CBS Scouting Net and does a lot of work there. Plus, he has a very, very good podcast with Prospect <laughs> Jesus, uh, the the Razzball Dynasty podcast. I might have messed up the name there, but that's the gist. Um, so you are big on the prospect game. What are some of the ones you're watching in this spring that you're kind of to determine are they going to make it? Are they not? Cause, you know, everyone – Otani – Acuna, those are all their Victor Robles, so on and so forth. What are the ones you're really focusing on? I'd say for spring reasons, I tend to focus on the bigger guys because I, I proximity-wise, they tend to be a little bit closer. I'm talking guys like Acuna and Otani, et cetera. They're going to make impacts very soon. So I like getting a gauge of them against spring pitchers who I know are generally back-end guys some of the time, but also, I mean, you're going to get the Scherzers. You're going to get some of these other guys that are legit major league pitchers. And I like seeing how those guys play up. So I'd say for spring purposes, if I'm target watching, like if I'm actually going to a game to watch a specific guy, I'm watching one of the top or, top end talents. So like Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr. in a home run, then he went 0 for 3 the next day with 3Ks. Like that's a guy I'm going to target and probably try to watch his at-bat to see how he looks. And Otani, I obviously watched that start. Didn't look too good, but – I still think he's an unbelievable pitcher overall. Acuna, same thing, he doesn't look great, but he's still an unbelievable player. So, I mean, you can't kind of punt these guys too quick, obviously, which is something I know a lot of people understand. But, yeah, I think that as far as spring watching goes, I actually like kind of more just sitting back, watching games, and specifically watching guys, and then having other guys pop up. Paul DeYoung actually was a guy last year who I saw in spring. I obviously watch a lot of Cardinals baseball and spring training, et cetera, and he looked really, really good in spring. And I remember – I think uh, Dynasty Guru or something like that. I was in one of the Dynasty leagues that kind of folded, but they had to submit like top under the radar guys that could blow up. And I put Paul Jung there because I watched him a lot and he looked really, really good. He had really good bat speed and no one was talking about him. And it was just a matter of time for him to come up and he blew. I didn't think he'd be this good, obviously, but I really liked what he was doing. So it's guys like that where I'd, I'd, Love to answer this question in three weeks when I have like yeah, true. a couple games under my belt. But I mean, to start, I generally just watch the top end guys, unfortunately. All right. And one thing I want to let listeners know is if you watch the MLB Network, which 
most people do. Every night or even during the day, but at night on the bottom line, after they give all the game scores, they literally have a prospect link or they do every yeah. team's prospects, how they did that game. Awesome. That's pretty pretty fun to watch. I enjoy that quite a bit. It's like the one time I put my phone down, I think, where I watch TV <laughs> these days. So it comes in handy there. Um, so I'll, I'll skip over the kind of off-the-radar ones you're, you're mentioning because, you know, maybe I'll, I'll hit you up in a few weeks. We can talk about that one yeah. because, like you said, is we, we don't know yet. Everyone's out there with the number 94 and playing, so who knows <laughs> what's going on. Um, let's talk about some mock drafts because I know you've done some prospect mocks with uh, the Wells from in this league, great guys over there, and you've done many others most likely. Let's just kind of have a little little discussion here. What are some of the ones that are either for the good or the bad, ADP-wise, some players that are surprising you that uh, it's definitely got your attention? Um, It's tough. I'd say a couple that come to mind immediately just looking at ADP and kind of where they've gone in mocks are guys like who fit that kind of contact-ish profile, like Whit Merrifield, who's going a little bit aggressive for my liking right now. It's those guys where I don't see a discernible skill. Merrifield's 73 overall if you filter for basically 2018 on NFBC ADP. It's just tough. Like, what are you getting back with him on the on prospect side? Excuse me, I'm thinking prospects. On the fantasy side of things that returns that value. I know he's right around there last year, but that's not a good team. The skills are good, but they're more contact profile. He's not going to get a lot of RBIs and runs, so it turns to, like, he's got to hit, like, 310. 300 for him to be like really good to produce above this value. And this, this is, these are kind of guys that I punted in the past and I've gotten burned on. I got burned on Jose Ramirez last year. I wasn't high on him at all. And he blew up. And I'll, I'll wear that badge as well. I was fine, but I tend to kind of stay away from these guys who are a little bit more contact oriented, who are going in this interesting tier where I'm not like Xander Bogart's 82 overall. That's probably a little more interesting just because he might be devalued because people don't like him too much, but, even like a Chris Taylor is a guy who I think the ceiling is more like on 23 home runs. I really don't think he could get over that, you know, and that's a little bit more of like, again, a contact approach where you're kind of just buying the average and hoping it, everything else comes. Elvis Andrews. I think a lot of people, yeah, I was going to ask you about him. Yeah. He's a guy that just, you're, you're kind of expecting again, what they had last year. And in this window here, I'm wanting guys that with discernible tools, I want, you know, Give me like a Jacob deGrom who is a discernible pitcher. He's really, really good. Even like like Josh Donaldson, I'm fine with. Like, give me Josh yeah. Donaldson. 28 overall is probably a little bit aggressive for me. But just the contact-oriented guys with speed is something that I think most of the time I could find later in drafts. Therefore, I don't value it too much in the top 10 rounds. And that's kind of like why I don't like the guys like – even like D. Gordon, 28 overall, that's too aggressive for me. I'm never going to – I'm not, not going to own a share of him, unfortunately. I'd honestly rather have Billy Hamilton than D. Gordon if I had to pick one of them at 28, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the average is, is a huge differential, but I don't know. Like, he's moving to center field. I'm interested to see yeah. how he does with that. And on the steal side of things, I don't know how much the Mariners run overall. I don't know how much yeah. you're going to be sending him. He's probably going to steal 40 bags, but I'd rather kind of wait three rounds, four rounds, and give me give me a shot at 70 bags, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. my thoughts. And you mentioned a guy like Chris Taylor. I'm having such a hard time buying into him. Now, certain times in a mock draft, he fits the mold, I guess. But I agree with everything you said. He's kind of one of those for me where I'm just like, there's a lot of people really high on him, and I just can't see it. You mentioned Jose uh, Ramirez, who, great year last year. I was off on him. Most of us were off on him. If people say they were on him, yeah, I hesitate believing that almost. But (laughs) they were on him. 
now he's going like 19th overall. Yeah, Are you on him at 19? Because I am having trouble pulling that trigger. I don't think I'm going to own him much spots, especially with Lindor two spots later. I think that as exactly. far as like the general kind of player, like if you're paying, like I'll just, I just flip, like I'm doing my ranks right now. I was actually just looking, as I mentioned, I, I definitely have Ramirez lower and Lindor high. I think I have Lindor inside the top 18 and I think I have Ramirez outside the top 25. So like, it, it, I mean, most of the time in drafts, you're going to see that these ADPs are falling right in line with where guys are going. So I'm just never going to own Ramirez and I'm probably going to own some shares. The combo that I actually love doing, and I've done this, I think in three mocks already is Bryce Harper and Francisco Lindor. I, that That's combo is just, it's a combo I end up getting yeah. almost everywhere. If you get like that back end, like a lot of people like top end picks, they want to kind of make their, their bid on a guy like Trout or Altuve or Turner. Like I'm fine with that. Give me the one pick, give me Trout. But if I don't get one, I want like six through 10. Cause I really like like Chris Bryant is a guy who I'm going to rank probably top eight who I know a lot of people don't have him top eight, but I'm buying in on what he did last year and him going the other way. I think I'm, I'm completely fine with expecting 35 plus home runs from him to high two eighties average. Like he's going to re- return a ton of value. He's going 15 overall. I, I love that. Like if I'm building a team and I could get Harper to fall to eight and then on the back end, turn around Chris Bryant, like, I don't know how I would be happier with a team, honestly. Like that's no, he's, for me. he he's that guy I've been in discussions with people and you like and you're high on him, so I, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with this. He's the guy that would not shock you if he's outside of Trout and Altuve or just Trout at the end of the season yeah. when it comes to he has that talent level. And people and are saying he was off last discount. year, but yeah, because you're getting a huge discount. And you mentioned Josh Donaldson earlier. I, I like that pick because once he came back last year, he played really well. He's a sleeper AL home run champion in the making as well. Sure, I agree. I like a lot what you have with him. Got to stay healthy, but he's he's, yes. he's his swing's always been fantastic. If you get that bat speed back, he talk, he does some really good MLB Network breakdowns. I don't know if you ever saw any of those where he talks Josh about Donaldson's swing. amazing. I love yeah. him. I love him so much. But the the thing he often mentions in that is like it's all in his lower body and his hips, and then he just throws and his it's hands. all beat up. But yeah, that's all beat up. But his hands, like if his hands slow down and he gets his bat speed down, he's gonna have a lot of trouble. But I, I have confidence he's gonna be uh, bounce back into like top fifty value this year. And I don't mind paying up a little just because you, you gotta pay from some ceiling on top guys like this. So I like Donaldson. We could do a couple quick hitters here. Sure. Um, going ninety fifth overall in the last since the beginning of eighteen, Miguel Cabrera. What are you doing with oh, Miggy? Literally one of the best hitters of all time. And he has fallen off the map. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did another Rasmus comment on him, actually, very briefly. But uh, that was more of just kind of a fun look. But uh, uh, 95 is gorgeous. I'll take him 70 That's, to 50 overall. Easily, easily. And, I mean, he back problems, blah, 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 blah. The thing, the thing I tend to kind of bucket a lot of these guys who end up with injuries into, was this guy an absolutely elite player at any point in their life? Yes or <laughs> One no? One of the best ever. <laughs> He was one of the best hitters of all time. He's immediate yes. first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, I know back issues are terrible, whatever, whatever. But, like, I'm more worried about a back issue than a guy like Ryan Zimmerman, who was never elite, yes. you know, than I am in a guy who, I mean, you could tell he's trying to get into shape. He had some weird off-the-field stuff happen that I don't really care about, but obviously can affect someone mentally if you want to bring in that side. But, I mean, like, he's another guy, too. Like, if you look at his baseline stats – of what they're projecting him to do off of steamer. So you can't take last year's value because he was terrible last year. But if you look at what steamer's projecting him to, which is a balance between what he did two years ago when he was a top 20 player 
and and what he did last year which is it's a balance between the two he's aging whatever i'm fine with that it's probably in the 75 to 80 window which again is 15 above what you're expecting what your adp is and that though these are the guys that if you could scoop them up like even a little bit early if you ever want to jump in on a guy just look at adp versus projections and just stare yep. at those and see what the misvalues are on far as adp and those are the guys i'm completely confident in jumping up if you're looking like these are guys like if you're when you get into like the sixth, seventh round, eighth round, you're looking at guys who could fall into that top 40 value. And two guys for me that I think can do that. And I'm talking like, I mean, you can talk 40, top 60. So like they're going in that back end, like ninth, 10th round. Miggy and Joey Gallo are two guys that I'm, I'm almost relatively confident can produce top 50 value this year and are not being drafted as so. Yeah, I love Miggy. Like I've had people just even in mock drafts when I've got him like the tenth round. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's, it's Miguel Cabrera, guys. Yeah. He's um. It's he's, funny you hear that, and you also hear like, oh, great pick on Miggy, good value, and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. like because he's going a hundred overall, and he's better hitter than anyone on the board. Like, and that's that's the biggest him. that's the biggest take home from this, and this is why I wanted to ask you is like you said, projections: two ninety, twenty four homers, seventy two runs, eighty yeah. RBIs. You're not picking him tenth overall. You're picking him a hundredth overall. That is outstanding. Like yeah. that is great. You, you mean the risk is? I mean, he's down on ADP because of the injuries, and that's what you're. If you're terrified of the back, sure, you're never going to pay this value for him because he's never going to play. But if you have any semblance, or if you have any idea that he's going to produce a decent value, and his back's going to be moderately okay, I think what I said in the Rasball piece was like, give me, give me Miggy for half a year. If he's healthy, I'm confident he could be healthy for half a year. And then after that, you know, let me trade him. Let me trade him on the cheap. I'll, I'll pay down if anyone thinks like that he's or at 80 games and he's going to run down and not turn the value that he's expecting. Like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll take a loss on Miggy if I could get that first half of good Miggy. And I can think that really, really puts you ahead in, in fantasy leagues if you get Miggy and have him produce. Because, I mean, you're going to know very, very quickly if Miggy's on or not at the beginning of the year. And I, at that point, when that happens, like his value is either going to go way up or it's going to go completely to the floor. And I, I mean, at yeah. what his prices right now, I'm, I'm a hundred percent happy with taking a bet on that. It goes up and you, you return substantially exactly. more than you're paying. Exactly. The last uh, little kind of make this a debate between two players, yeah. second, second base position going about 101st overall. You got Javi Baez who, to me, is very polarizing because you just don't know what you're going to get with him. Entertaining to watch, great stuff, a lot of things you're going to like about him. But, you know, you look at projections, 262, 22, 60, 72, and 10 ribbies are pistol on bases. And then you got Rubin Odor going 106, coming off that year where he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if he tried. He could hit the ball a mile when he actually connected with it, but it was a mess. He did hit 30 homers, but hitting 204. They do have him projected for 29 homers, a 256 average, which is much, much better, and 13 stolen bases. If you had to pick just one, which one do you trust? Which one are you taking? I'll go Rugi. I'll go Rugi out of the door here. This is a guy that Gray on Rasball was like really, really high on last year. They had him like top like 50, I think. And if you were any and in any of the Rasball RCLs, which are kind of like these commenter leagues they run. He was like, the funniest thing with those leagues is that they all draft off Gray's rankings. So like the guys that are consensus good on Rasball, you have to pay Rasball value for. Whereas if you apply Rasball value to other leagues, you're like, oh my God, like this guy's fallen 50 picks from where Rasball has him. And I, I, I think that's so funny. But uh, but yeah, give me Rugi there. Um, I, I think they're around the same age, but I think people kind of misperceive how young Rugi Nettador is. But 
I think that you kind of just have a little bit more instability of playing time there. Last year was a really weird year for him. I know he doesn't walk at all. He almost falls into that kind of like Jonathan Scope category um, where he just doesn't really walk at all. He's got a bit of swing and miss, but his bat to ball is a little better, I think, than people realize, even though he posts like 25, 26, 7% strikeout rates. I think um, I, I don't mind him. Like his bat to ball is good enough to the point where he's swinging away a ton. Like I know he's going to steal a couple bags. He's non-zero there for me. And, like they're projecting him for what on home runs on on Rudin and Odor like they got to be around like 29, 29. Wow. See that is another one like average out all that what are they giving they're giving him I just jumped here 56 average average out all that and place it against his yeah. ADP he's returning immediately if, if he hits his projection and I exactly. that's another guy like I love that value I love that value honestly he's 101 yep. right now yeah take him 80 that's again second base is relatively weak too that's a beautiful beautiful yep. piece of value there and if you get Altuve early or you, somebody with average, in case he hiccups, you still get the power and you have a middle infielder and watch out. Spot on. Um, so I like it a lot. And uh, that's why I kind of wanted to have all these discussions tonight because it wasn't just breaking down players. There's a lot of draft strategy and a lot of things going into the season because it's almost March 1st. It's about go time. Uh, the great fantasy baseball invitational is about yeah. to go down, my friend. What league number? What league number are you in? I'm in, you I'm in five, I think. I was just talking about this with someone, and they, okay. the picks are out already too, right? I think I saw if you jump into the draft room, I think it ranks everyone. Do you know if that's being like reset or? I'm not too sure. Uh, no. If it, yeah, I'm number two. They're, they're legit. It's go oh, time. Sweet. Awesome. So I got ten. I'm probably going. If Harper falls to me. I am going Harper, but if not, I will go Chris Bryant. Anyone in my leads listening, you already know my pick, so don't say yeah. please. Yeah, so anybody knows, I'll, I'll take Jose Altuve for the guy, unless some idiot doesn't take Mike Tra- uh, Trout. Yeah. I, I, I forgot who's number one in my league, so I apologize for calling you an idiot, but if you do, <laughs> you're an idiot. So <laughs> let's just be honest about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but everybody, go check out Lance's work. He's on Twitter at Lance Brozdow, B-R-O-Z-D-O-W. Big Three Sports does a ton there. Razzball, as you mentioned, podcast, writing, lots of great stuff there. And honestly, he's talked about the guys at Razzball. They do phenomenal stuff. Rudy, Absolutely. he's in a, lo- a bunch of leagues. Like, he's not just saying it because he works for him. They do amazing stuff there, like really, really good really stuff. Really good work, yep. So check out Razzball. Um, CBS Scouting, tons of great stuff there. Lance, always a pleasure, my friend. Great yeah. stuff, as always. Thanks for having me. Everyone enjoy yeah. your, your drafting season as it comes forward. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely do this again uh, soon, my friend. Thanks uh, for episode 75 in the books. Catch you guys next time. Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.